you, Rappaport, Schefter, all get this massive lead at the same exact time. It's 100 characters. Who, who's tweeting it out first? Who's got the fastest fingers? Schefter's a fucking maniac with that stuff. <laughs> I've, been, I've been with him when he does it. I would like to put myself second. But he is, he is fast too, for sure. Everybody and welcome to How the Fuck Did You Get That Job, the show where two not-so-interesting guys ask interesting people one question and then interrupt them as they try to answer it. Joining us today is Jordan Schultz. Jordan has been a force in sports media for over a decade now. He started his career by sharing his own journey as a player on a high-caliber AAU team with Brandon Roy and Martel Webster. He kept up a similar premise detailing his career through the NBA's developmental league. Jordan has written and produced content for the LA Times, NBC, Yahoo, Fox, and the Huffington Post. Today, he is an insider analyst for ESPN, co-host of the Pull Up Podcast with CJ McCollum, and a correspondent on Rich Kleinman and Kevin Durant's series, The Boardroom. Jordan, welcome to the show, and how the fuck did you get that job? (laughs) Uh, It's great to be on, guys. I really appreciate you having me, and um, I'm honored to be a guest. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, you think about it like that, it's been a long, it's it doesn't feel like it's been a long career, but, you know, it has been 10 years since I gra- – actually, a little over 10 years now since I graduated college, I guess. So when you think about it as those terms, it has been a while. I think for me, when I graduated, I knew really early on, even going back to, like, when I was a kid, that I wanted to pursue sports media once I was done playing basketball. So I, I took basketball as far as I could. You know, I had a – you know, I'd say a really good high school career, and then I played in college – it's Seattle U and then Occidental, but right, it's basically like my senior year, I, I was super locked into this career. Like I was, I'd already done some internships and I was really clear on what I wanted to do. I just didn't know how to do it. You know, like I had this goal and it was like, it seems so far away, but I knew that I had the passion and I believed at least that I had the, you know, the capacity and the talent to do it. So we moved out to New York. My girlfriend, who I ended up marrying, was basically like, we're moving to New York. I don't care. Like, I hope you come. But if you don't come, then that's on you. And she was like, you want to be in sports media. I want to be in PR and marketing and advertising. And this is where it's going to happen for us, if it's ever going to happen. And so we, moved, we, we left L.A. in Seattle. We moved to New York about three months after graduation. And basically, I just started um, – I, I couldn't get a job originally in sports media. I was writing a blog, but it was for free. So I needed to pay the bills and I got a job at basically like a tech company, but it was hard because it wasn't really what I wanted to do. And I, I knew that, but I bit the bullet. And then what I would do was like throughout the day, lunch breaks, even like randomly at like three o'clock, I would work on the block because that's the only thing I really wanted to do. And what was the blog about? It was called 10 feet high. And it was, a uh, it was, it was a totally just a all basketball blog, mostly like NBA, but you know, I would do like draft recaps and, you know, I player breakdowns. I might, might have had a couple interviews. It was really an NBA blog. But the, the good part about it was it allowed me to hone, you know, sentence structure, style, you know, improve vocabulary. And it was reps because I could write as much as I want. They basically published anything as long as it was halfway decent. Um, so it was on a sports website that had blogs. So the website was called Sports Fan Live. My specific blog was 10 feet high. And eventually, after about maybe seven or eight months, I quit that job because it was so brutal. And um, I got a job working as a copy editor at fanhouse.com, which was, which was eventually acquired by the Sporting News. But it was a pretty legitimate website back then. And I, was, I would edit stories and put them on the site. 
And how, like, when you're, when you're talking about like copy editing, like lay that out for people. Cause I think those, those jobs can kind of really differ in terms of like the, what's required from you going in day to day. What did that look like? Yeah, it was, it was one of those things, you know, fellas where, uh, it was not very glamorous. So I would, it was, it was cool though, because I got to see like how a sports website operates and how it functioned and like the ethos of a site, you know, what, what would be featured? What was, what was getting clicks? Um, and I started to learn why things were working from a writer's standpoint. It's because so what I would do is all day, depending on my shift, and I would do some like kind of graveyard night shifts, but most of the time it was during the day. I would be on like the news desk, and then they had their slew of writers that would send in their pieces, and then I would edit those pieces, mostly for grammar, um, occasional fact checking, make sure it laid out well, and then I would dress it up with like pictures and captions. So it was a very and like titles. It was a very uh, and that way, like kind of basic job, but I, it allowed me to read a ton, which I think I tell a lot of young people, like become a voracious reader, really attack reading because it's a great way to learn. And then, uh, you know, I did that for almost a year. And then eventually what happened was Fan House got acquired by Sporting News and its parent company was AOL. AOL um, bought Huffington Post and then Huffington Post in turn hired me to be their sports columnist. So that was basically my first big break, say a year and a half out of college. And what, what did that conversation look like, right? So all of a sudden you get kind of promoted to Huffington Post. Like what is your, what is that job switch kind of look like? And uh, what opportunities are you, are you working on then? Yeah, I, I still remember the first conversation I had with, uh, with the editing staff. And I was like selling myself about here's what I can bring to the table. And I don't even think they knew who I was. But somebody else had probably said, let's hire him. And uh, basically, I started, it wasn't, it was kind of similar to, it was actually very similar to what I was doing at, with, with the blog 10 feet high. I was, you know, pitching stories. And I was writing them. And that was kind of like my first you know, foray into like, you pitch a story, you get it approved, and then you write it. And then as I started to get more autonomy, I was able to basically, you know, write pretty much anything I wanted. But the hard part about HuffPost, so there it was, there was two parts of HuffPost. The really hard part was we had multiple editors throughout my tenure there. Like, I think we must have had sports editors. We might have had four or five sports editors, which was really tough because it was constantly like different voices and somebody different to, to work with. But on the other side, it was so, it was, I had total freedom. And even though HuffPost like isn't a sports brand, I think people associated Huffington Post with like a national newspaper, national website. And I was able to at least get some notoriety from it. And when you're like, you're writing a lot at that time, writing and At that point, I was writing a ton. I was probably pumping out three or four articles a week. I, it was a lot. The most wow. I've ever done. And at that point, were you thinking like, all right, like I'm going to be a writer? Like what, who are you looking at and being like, all right, that's the end goal? I mean, my first, my, the first guy I really loved was like Bill Simmons. Um, and I just thought he was like God, you know? I mean, for me, that was it. But I also knew that I really wanted to and I knew I could do television and you know, I started to sell myself as, as I got a little older, let's say 25, 26, 27, I started to sell myself as a multimedia new age sports journalist, you know, TV, radio, print, all three facets. And I, I remember like really having a hard time getting on the radio because nobody knew who I was. Nobody knew who I was. And 
I would like basically either myself or someone that worked at HuffPost, we started reaching out to local radio stations, you know, from like Fayetteville to, you know, Kansas City to Vermont to Seattle, everywhere. Anywhere, any, anybody that had a local news feed, sports, I would try to get on that station. And eventually I got on a show, Kansas City, I think it was 610, with Nick Wright, you know, who does our first things first. And that was like my first radio kind of I guess it was like a repeated gig. You know, I, I got out a few times and it went well enough, I think, where I was now able to, okay, here's a legitimate radio show I'm on. Here's how it sounds. And I would start sending it out. And then I started getting a lot of, a lot more attention really fast. And as I started getting that, the reps and opportunities, then I started getting calls from, you know, the big, you know, ESPNs and um, some of the bigger national stations asking me to come on, which was a huge deal when I was like 27, I remember just being like so nervous and excited to go on like ESPN national. It was like an insane amount of uh, excitement for me at that point. How many emails did you send out before kind oh of finally getting, finally getting that one from Kansas city? Oh, that's a great question. Probably I would, I would venture to say we sent out a few hundred, a few hundred emails, you know, Maybe even more, honestly. It's been, it's been so long. It could have been four or five hundred, anywhere from three to five hundred, probably. I would guess, you know. And it wasn't over like one week. It was like, and it wasn't just one time. It'd be like I was, I sent three emails to the same station, you know, or I'd find out who the program director was in like Wenatchee, which is like a suburb of Seattle. It's like you know, just randomly like these random cities or you know, small towns, you know, big big towns, and I would just find out who the program director was. I get their email. Or I would get their number and I'd just start calling and they'd be like, who the, who is, who, who are you? I'd be like, oh, hi, Mr. Uh, Snyder, this is Jordan Schultz. I'm the sports columnist helping to post. I'd love to come on your radio station. And he'd be like, uh, I don't, okay, like, you know, send us a reel or something. And, and so it was hard. That was like the process. I didn't have any reps. And until you get an opportunity, you don't really have any, you know, it's hard to like sell yourself because nobody's heard of you. So you just, you have to get that one or two or three breaks and then you have to excel with those opportunities because they won't come again if you don't. You remember one of those like first radio hits that you were doing, whether, whether it was really particularly good or particularly bad, like does one stick out? Yeah. I think uh, the, the first one I went on with Kansas in Kansas city. Uh, and I, I remember it was an NFL draft hit. They didn't know who I was. So they didn't know my specialty. And they and I, I've always been like a super sports fan fanatic, all sports. You know, like I I take a ton of pride in like the fact that I can tell you players from the Bundesliga and La Liga. But one thing I didn't like know I was going to get asked about was like the nose tackle at Baylor and his like three technique. And so I had to just rely on like my instincts, I guess, to talk about because they were talking about the Chiefs draft. And they were picking, let's say, like eight. And I didn't – I knew who – I knew all the players, but, like, I couldn't break down at that point especially. You know, I, I didn't know how to, like, talk about necessarily the, the, the super specific techniques of, like, a draft scout. You know, I picked up on that over the years and talking to enough people. And, but na- at that point, I was so raw. That I, and I was really nervous. But I think it did go relatively well. And I know I, I got back on that station pretty quick. But that – that was a really tough one for me because I didn't really know what to expect. Another one was that one of the first times I went on ESPN radio, they wanted me to talk about USA, Team USA. I think it was in 2012 at the Olympics. 
yeah, 2012, London. And um, I knew the subject really well, but I knew it was like a five minute hit because they didn't really give a shit about me. So it would be really short. And I just remember being like, I had all this stuff written down and I wanted to get it all in. So it was probably like kind of a, it's probably like a really like intense hit with a lot of information. <laughs> in your head, when they asked you about that Baylor nose tag, were you just like, I just sound like a football guy? Like <laughs> it was Phil Taylor. It was Phil Taylor. I remember it from Baylor. Yeah, I remember his name because I remember being like, oh, my God, I can't talk about this guy right now. I, I don't know how to talk about, like, a nose tackle and, like, whether or not he can – like, his swim moves. Just sound like Mel Kuyper I just right wanted, now. Yeah, I was just like, you know, he's got great size. You know, he's like 6'5", 270, good first step. That's know? a good one. That's yeah. a good one. You know? I didn't really – I didn't really know. I mean, I knew it. I, I, I probably – I think I'd seen highlights and I – had an idea of, of like his game, but I didn't. Again, like so, yeah. who knows? I'm sure it sounded terrible. I'm honestly. <laughs> that that's so tough, though. So that was that your transition into radio. What was the transition into video like? How how were those similar and different? Uh, well, it first came radio. Really, uh, even though I wanted to do video more, the radio opportunity. NBC Sports Radio hired me uh, probably like after maybe like three years out of school. And it was a Sunday morning show with a guy named Adam Cooper Senior does who was doing sports, local sports in Miami, and then now he does the local news and uh, or local news in Miami. Now he does local news in New York. Good guy, and I didn't know him at all. And we did Sunday mornings together. And what that meant was it's like a three-hour show. And it was actually a decent time frame because we did NFL. It was nine to noon, so right before kickoff on on nine to noon Eastern. So it was a pretty decent time, and it was. Um, the first time, the very first show, I was super nervous. I got there really early. Nobody can get a hold of my co-host. Nobody knows where he is. And I had never done – oh, I never hosted any radio before. Turns out there was, like, some crazy event in Miami, and he was, like, an hour late. Couldn't get to the studio. So I was all by myself, and I had no clue what I was doing. I was hosting a national radio show. I didn't know how to come in and out of breaks. I didn't know how to do the reads. And I remember I kept like, they'd be like 10, 9, 8 in my ear. And I would like go over because I didn't know how to get out of interviews. Like I'd be talking to somebody, but I didn't know how to shut down that interview and just get, get to commercial. We, we really really don't, we're we're yeah. really struggling with that too. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, a, that's a bit of a podcast though. You have unlimited, you know, you can just go. That and that's why I love this, the podcast space. The, the TV stuff. I, don't, I was almost like less nervous about TV because I was, I've always been so comfortable in front of the camera and around people. Like I was always the guy that like my friends would nominate to like give the speech and stuff. And I never seemed to really have issues with it. So the TV stuff was more, more just like getting opportunity, you know, and I would, again, this is like reaching out to every, you know, news station, national news station. I was doing like inside edition hits you know, like I was going on Fox and Friends. Then I got, and then I, you know what happened was HuffPost started HuffPost Live, which was basically a live news stream all day. And so I started to get reps there, and it went. I did, I did quite well, and that was I was able to build my reel through that. And then I became. You guys know Abby Huntsman? No, never. Heard. So she she was on. She's like a news anchor. Um, her so her dad John Huntsman ran was governor. He's governor of Utah. And then he ran for president years ago, and she was doing these national shows once she left HuffPost. But when she was at HuffPost, we became good friends, and then she became 
like a really big national news person and she would bring me on. So I, then I was getting more reps. And so take us through like you're, you're building up this multimedia career and you're, I, I like the, the whole industry is kind of changing. Like, or I mean, at this point it had already changed, but like no one really knows what, like a, a sports journalist, the job description has completely changed. What was kind of your North star? What was like your guiding light through this? Like, cause you, like you're someone who's transitioned really well and like did obviously like you didn't have a whole lot of time in traditional journalism, but you did really yeah. well there too. So like, what's been that guiding light? I uh, appreciate that. I guess, I guess for me, it'd be just like, I had this um, su- like super laser focus of knowing what I wanted to be, knowing what I wanted to become. My whole thing has always been like, I just want to be great. Like, I want to be one of the great ones. And I, and I was like that. I mean, I was a terrible student. Terrible. But I was like that with basketball as a player. And I never felt like I was super talented. But I always – I worked really, really hard at it. And I always had these, like, steps. You know, like my freshman year of high school making the varsity and then getting on the AU team with Brand or with Martell in the same program as Brandon. And I just kept hitting these goals. And I did – I had the same – thought process with with my career but even more because I was older and more mature and I really knew what I wanted what I wanted to become I mentioned Bill Simmons and then you know I just like these great you know Dan Patrick and um Stuart Scott and those are anchors but like the idea that you, you could really influence people with your opinions and analysis and your voice to have a voice and then I you know I was fortunate enough to grow up and get a really good education and I just I was around I was exposed at a really young age to the world and to like the right way to do things in the wrong way and I used all that as motivation and then the whole concept of like being like a silver spoon kid really really bothered me and I hated it so much so that like I purposely would hang out with like you know I go to the gym and hang out with all the public school kids because that's those are the kids I I really liked to play basketball and didn't care, you know, about what school you went to. And so I think I had all this like anger and I still have some of it with me that drives me a lot of it that just says like, I can't afford in my mind not to be great because if I'm not great, this whole thing is a waste. Like I have so, I put so much pressure on myself and to a fault sometimes, but most of the time it's my driving force because I just won't accept no for an answer. Can you talk, talk a little bit just about like, the sports industry and like how you fostered these relationships because over the last 10 years, you know, you've obviously plugged into many different outlets, athletes trust you. Like, was that a natural skill given to you or was that something that you learned? I think that was probably a manifestation of, so David, I think that was a manifestation of like my upbringing. You know, I was around NBA players and professional athletes a lot as a kid. And I saw like I saw that side of it and what it took for guys to become pros and how, and even more importantly, what it took to be, to, to maintain being a pro. Cause there's always a younger person coming that's going to be on a cheaper contract. And, you know, it's really hard to get there. It's even harder to stay there. And you know, I was, I was around it. I worked out with some of these guys. I, I just really related to that lifestyle of like putting in immense you know, having this immense dedication to your craft and becoming great. And then I saw my, how, the way my parents were, and I really combined that. And the one thing that, like, one of the really big things that hit home for me 
and that still stays with me is my parents just being like, you need to value those who can't help you. You know, you, you, you got to help people even when they can't return the favor because that's the ultimate sign of kindness and that's how you pay it forward. That was like a big theme in my house, like pay it forward. Did you do that today? Did you, did you do that this week? And I remember as a kid, I'd be like, I didn't do that today. And they'd be like, how, how are you going to do it tomorrow? So I think that was a big thing for me. And I used all of that and I kind of, I guess I just put it in a bottle and I was like, this is how I'm going to be with athletes, executives and coaches. I'm going to be this authentic person. I'm going to be genuine. And you know, if it doesn't, work out with a particular person you know I move on to the next one but I really want to have these relationships and I want people to trust me because you know I'm in it for the right reasons and I think the last thing I'll say is that knowing that not that you can't just be transactional you know if you need information you can't just ask somebody for it if you don't really know them or you know them a little bit more importantly most of the conversations you're having with athletes and executives coaches it's all it's usually about anything but their sport you know you're talking about family and what's going on and like right now in the world and and you'll talk about the sport but when the time comes for like information if you can give it great and then if you can if they can help you that's amazing you know but like there's no pressure and if they can't do it they don't want to give you a story that's fine i'm not going to be upset and i'm not going to not going to throw away a friendship you know and i think all of those things have really manifested themselves because I have this like core belief that you need to be genuine and authentic and then you know good things will happen because people like being around good people yeah that's a a long answer but no no I love that that was more than I expected and I think just like keying in on uh the transactional stuff like ever a lot of people especially in the sports industry are just like hey what can you give me and even if it's not like, what can you give me now? What can you give me in two months? Right. Just having that overarching approach. Like it does, it'll, it'll pay off, like be a human, like be nice. Um, I mean, yeah. Like I just, yeah, I know you're, you're Vayner. Like Gary, Gary Vee has always told me like, this is like his, uh, you know, his thing, right. He's like, you just need to reach out to as many people as possible. Like, you'd be surprised who responds. And as soon as I started doing that, what happened was you start to build this network of like, you might know their agent, or you might know the GM of their team or maybe their trainer. There's so much synergy. And because you've developed these really positive relationships mm-hmm. with others, they're going to, now what's going to happen is they're going to go ask that person. What about, what about Jordan Schultz, you know, from ESPN? They're going to ask him that. And then what's going to happen, the response, they're going to come back at me and be like, all right, we're cool. You know, or you can ask somebody for an intro at some point and then you'll have that, this person accepts me and so any person any friend of his is is a friend of mine and all that really works together speaking of relationships when you first met cj was it like immediate chemistry like oh me and this guy are gonna start a podcast or was it kind of like something that grew or something like uh, something that really blossomed yeah so what's interesting about that and this again this is really what we're talking about i met cj through one of my best friends earl watson earl watson I met as a kid years ago. We stayed friends throughout everything. Uh, he was a veteran player on the Blazers, and then he was an assistant, and he was like CJ's veteran. And I asked Earl, I was like, what about the CJ McCollum kid? You know, I, he seems like he's really special, and he was like, he's great. You got to meet him. He's going to be really special. 
he's going to be a great player. He's going to be, he's going to do a lot of big things off the court. He's like, I'm going to connect you today. And he put us on a text and CJ was like, your boy, you're Earl's guy. Now you're my guy. You know, like if you're Earl's friend, you're my friend. And that was a huge thing. Like that was one of the first, that was like the first star really that I was friends with. This was a long time ago. And I remember being like, you know, not really sure how to respond and just kind of feeling it out. And Earl was just like, just be yourself how you are with me. And so CJ and I had this relationship for several years where we were, we, would be, we were becoming closer, but we were in different cities and I didn't seem to see him very often, but we were, we were good friends. We were good friends, but it wasn't like, you know, I wasn't talking to him every day. I wasn't even talking to him every week. But then what happened was, and this is again with relationships, the guy that hired me at NBC Sports Radio, years later now, has a much bigger job at a media company. He hired CJ, and he was like, I know you're, I know you're friendly with, really good friends with CJ. He needs a co-host who's in media. I want to offer you the job first. That relationship with this guy, Chris Corcoran, who's one of the best people in the business, I don't think we had worked together for like six years, five, maybe five, six years. But we, we have stayed really good friends, and we talked frequently. And so he fortunately thought of me. And then as soon as we started the podcast, that, that synergy was obviously already there, and we grew it over time. And within the last two years, we've done over, over 100 shows. We've really become, like, really close friends. And, and it's, it would have never happened had, like, I just been a dick or something to Earl or, you know, I didn't follow up the way I needed to follow up. I mean, that's, that's how these things work. Let's see. I, I got one more question. David, you, you got anything over on your end? Uh, I think I'm good. I have one more might pop up. Okay. My, my last question is just, it was honestly like one of the first things that came to mind after reading your bio. How intimidating is Rich Kleinman the first time you meet him? It's funny. He texted me about 30 seconds ago on the screen. So <laughs> you say that, I'm like, Rich is not intimidating. I, it's from like the outside, like yeah. looking at him in the boardroom and looking at like the like content he puts out. I'm like that guy. Like, I hear that. You know, it's funny you say that. It's funny you say that because like like I look at Rich and I'm just like that's Rich. You know, like he's kind of goofy and. But when we first met, we first met playing basketball actually, a few summers back and a couple summers ago, I guess maybe two and a half years ago, and basically what happened was. We were kind of talking shit to one another because I could tell he like thought he had this swag on the court. And I was like, I'm going to bust you. And I, I can't remember who won, but I, I thought I played. I think I remember being like, I played pretty well. And he was like, I like your game. And I was like, really? And I was like, I kind of like your game too. And then we started talking and it was like, th that's the beauty of sports though. Like playing basketball, you break that ice so fast. You know, like maybe it would have been different if it wasn't for the basketball, but we already had played against each other and we really didn't talk for the first maybe couple times. It was just more friendly. But, at, but then I was like, I remember like a second, maybe third time I felt comfortable enough being like, I'm really interested in what you're doing at 35 ventures with Kevin. I'd really like to learn more. Maybe we could grab a beer or maybe some breakfast or something over the next couple of weeks. And he was like, great, let's do it. But I don't know. Like maybe the basketball thing helped. It probably did. Was he intimidating? I, I guess I was a little bit because he is a big deal. And I knew his history at Rock with JC and now Kevin, and I'd seen him on documentaries, and I was like, this guy's really, really fucking legit. 
but I really liked him. I, I, I felt like he was like my kind of guy. He was, uh, he was from New York, kind of had that like, not a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, but like more of just like he had been hardened by like his experiences. Like he knew, he, he knew how to like separate real and fake. He was clearly someone that was very intelligent and cerebral. And he had all of this experience. And I was just like, I just really need to meet this guy and, and get on his radar. And the funny part is, I was trying to get on his radar for months. Like, I was really trying to meet him. We kind of had a mutual friend. I didn't know if I was ever really going to meet him. And, and eventually, he, he was like, we're doing this show, The Boardroom. And this was kind of in the early stages. But he was like, I think it's going to be basically like this business meets sports tech. Kevin's and I are going to be at the forefront of it. Jay's going to be posting it, but we need a correspondent to go out in the field and do like the field pieces. And we think he'd be an ideal fit for it. And I just remember like, that was one of like the greatest days of my life. Like I told him, I was like, I, you just like made my, you, you, you have no idea what you just did for me. He was like, yeah, I do. I know what I did. <laughs> but it's for him to have that trust in me. I guess it took away a lot of the intimidation because I, I was like, you know, maybe he really thinks I'm this legitimate, you know, sports person. And, and if he thinks so, maybe there's some truth to it. Like he helped legitimize me, you know, and that was that was really important for my confidence. And you know, I'm, I'm proud to call him a friend. Wow, that's awesome. Um, kind of a silly question here, but let's just make a scenario that you know, you Rappaport, Schefter, all get this massive lead at the same exact time. It's a hundred characters. Who who's tweeting it out first? Who's got the fastest fingers? Schefter's a fucking maniac with that stuff <laughs> i've been i've been with him when he does it he 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 would have it out he would have it out i don't know ian he he tweet he does he gets he tweets a lot of news i i would like to put myself second but ian ian's fast too for sure the reason the thing about adam though is like he's got the two phones and like if you see him like i'll be with him and he'll be like this he'll be like typing with one hand and then he'll be like talking on the phone. He'll be like, "Yeah, so I got this going on," and, and then oh, and then he's like, "Oh, hold on, I got this guy calling me," and he's like, "It doesn't even look real because you think it almost like he's playing like a like he's on Xbox Live and he's like talking, he's talking shit, he's like playing a game. It's so fast and it's so efficient." And I asked him, I remember, I was like, "Why do you have two phones?" He's like, "I have so many reasons. I could die the service, but he's like, I, what if I need to do two things at once?" And he's doing so many things at once. And, the, and Adam, also what's amazing about Adam, he's been a big mentor for me. So I'm really like, I'm like indebted to Adam. He, he, he like does this whole thing where he can operate on zero sleep or very little sleep. And I was like, you sleep. And he, he's, he says, I use, I burst, I use burst, you know, like maybe an hour, half an hour, two hours, but it's never like a full sleep, at least during the busy season. And like, I've te- there's times when I've been up randomly at like 3 a.m. waiting for a story and I might text him and he'll respond. He'll be typing like by the time I'm typing, like by the time I'm done typing, he's so on it. So I'm going to go with Adam. Number one, he is the goat. He's the legend and uh, maybe myself second. But the thing also what's crazy is like with Adam is he's such a good guy and he's really taught me to our point of our relationship. So like, you got to give back, you know, you can't just, it can't just be one way. It can't, it's gotta be genuine. And you really got to like, like the person or at least respect them similar to like how it would be i think in like a team you know maybe you don't love this guy but you have to have a mutual respect and an ability to work together and that's what produces great results and clearly he's had um incredible results 
He's he's actually somebody we've reached out to. He said he will someday come on the show. Like I think he's we're trying to figure out a date. What what what's one I'll, question I'll, we should I'll ask him? I'll <laughs> tell him that because he came on our pod. And I, 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 he's a really good friend. I'll tell him he's a very close friend. I will ask. I'll tell him I came on this great pod with these two great guys. It's a fucking what the fuck pod or something. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I would ask Adam like it's less so people always ask him the same stuff. Like we 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 went we were going back from the um the combine and we were sitting next to each other on a plane and I was watching him go through the airport and, and it was like kids were coming up to him like he was an athlete. You know, like we were we were in a line for coffee, we're walking to get chocolates, we're we're on the plane, like everybody's stopping him. And so but they always ask him the same question. Like What's it like to be around these athletes? And, and I get that too, but the really interesting questions are, I think to be like with Adam, like what's the most sleep you've had over the last three yeah. months or something like random like that, he would really appreciate or something like, um, you know, what's the, what's the biggest story you missed on that you thought you had? Because what happens sometimes is like, I missed, I had a breaking story the other day and I left my phone for 30 minutes to feed my kids and I missed it. And I was, I was really upset, but I, it's happened now. You get over it. And, but like he, that happens to him at a really high level. You're not, you're just not going to be able to do every single one. And I'd be interested to know like some of the stories that he thought he had or he missed, you know, things like that are more interesting to me. Yeah. That's what we plan on hitting. So we already got a couple questions for him to start our interview off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, and, uh, yeah, I'm try- I-, I-, I can think of some more. I mean, Adam's great. He's he's like a really he's like a very very he's a really good human being. You know, like he's a really good guy and a really tough real business. And trust me, I won't name names, but that there's a lot of not so good people in our business. Yeah, <laughs> there's a there's a lot of I, I, I don't even want to say it like that. There's a lot of manipulative and jealous people in our business. Maybe they're good people, but they're very they can be really manipulative and really jealous and. It's, 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 it can get nasty. And Adam's a really good person. I, I, I'm, I will say, I'm, there's no question about it. You will never hear anybody say something bad about him. Love that. That's great. Yeah, we're excited. We're excited to have him on. I'm, I'm good on my side. I guess the last question was just, where, where can people find you? Yeah, uh, so on Instagram, the, on Twitter, and all that good yeah, stuff. Yeah, Instagram is uh, just at Jordan Schultz. And I've been using that a lot more than Twitter, or, or more. I think it's, it's just more fun and interactive. But Twitter is, you know, obviously still a big platform, and that's Schultz underscore report. ESPN, the Daily Wager is the show I'm on mostly, which is a gambling show Monday through Friday from 6 to 7 Eastern, but there's no games. So, unfortunately, haven't been able to do that, which has been uh, – suck, to be honest with you. But but hopefully that will get going again soon. And then um, the boardroom. Um, I also started this Instagram live show called Hang Time which is basically just like, this is an opportunity. There's, there's nothing going on. Let me just start talking to athletes and, you know, use these relationships for benefit of both people. Maybe we, we can have some fun with it. And so that's been really fun. That's on my Instagram. And then the pull up pod with CJ, you know, pull up with CJ McCollum. And you know, what's cool about CJ, I mentioned this is like, he, everything CJ does has a purpose. You know, he's such a good guy. And I think that really comes through in the pod. And, you know, we've had some great guests, but, I've also had some really fun sessions where it's just him and I, and we talk about like wine and music and pop culture and shitty television shows. So hopefully uh, people can check all that out. But if, the other thing I'll say to this to, to close, if, if, if anybody wants, needs anything or has some questions, needs some advice, guidance, if you DM me at Jordan Schultz, I will get back to you. That's something I really do enjoy doing. And um, 
you know, thanks for having me on, guys. It's been a pleasure. I like this podcast. I like you guys. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Jordan. Really good doing the business. Jordan Schultz, everybody.